Thinking historically requires practice. You've heard that saying, practice makes perfect. But in this case, thinking historically does not make perfect, but it certainly helps you to become a better thinker. Remember, we've been examining what is historical thinking, you know, and it, it, it encapsulates these five C's that we discussed. Thinking about change over time, thinking about causality, thinking about context, thinking about complexity, and thinking about contingency. All these come together to make us able to evaluate the past in a way that is much more insightful and relevant to uh, understanding and applying uh, that knowledge. So as we move through the remainder of this course and these lectures, I want you to think about how can you practice these skills? I know a lot of people approach the subject of history not focus on developing that capacity to think better, but largely focusing on the capacity to memorize or to just throw out random facts. This approach is called a factoid or a trivia approach, and it's been harshly criticized by Sam Weinberg that you've read now. He says that this type of approach to history actually undermines the, the very ability to think historically. When we focus solely on those things that can be memorized, we're not engaging the critical capacity of our minds to ask what that means and so what, that significance question that we're attempting to develop. So how do you go about practicing those historical thinking skills if memorization is not the path? One of the best ways to go about practicing historical thinking is through discourse, discourse or dialogue. When we speak of discourse, we're talking about an exchange and critique of ideas between two parties. And when we're engaged in discourse, we are in articulating our insights, we're using evidence, and we're arguing against other people's perspectives, sometimes incorporating aspects of their perspectives into our own. When we do that, we learn to think more clearly about the positions we hold. We also learn about the weaknesses in our particular arguments as we engage others. The best way to go about developing that skill is you got it through practice, doing it over and over and over again. And this way, learning to think historically is a lot like learning to play a sport better, learning to play an instrument, learning to do math. You get better at calculus by doing a lot of equations. There are not, there's no such thing as a math person or a history person. It only comes about through practice. So I've outlined a lot of opportunities in this particular course for us to engage in discourse and to practice these skills. The more you do this, the better you'll get at it. And then you'll also begin to see that in your everyday life, the real world, so to speak, that historical thinking is a very, very important way of processing data and thinking about the world. Most of the decisions that you'll encounter in your day-to-day -day life will not be decisions that are 100% bad or 100% good. And you just have to decide to be good or decide to be bad. Rather, the vast majorities of the decisions that you'll make on your job, in your family, your personal life, are all decisions that are somewhere in the gray area in between good and bad. And the success or the failure of those decisions often depends on the perspective that you have at any given moment, the evidence that you have at any given moment, and the timing 
All of those influence whether a particular decision is going to work out for you in the long term or in the short term. So I'll give you an example that we've discussed thus far in this class that really illustrates that. If you think about the end of the Civil War during this period of Reconstruction, Lincoln proposed a 10% plan very early on in, well, about midway through the war, that he said that if 10% of the South was willing to take an oath of allegiance, you know, he would draw up the peace and the war would be over. And just several days after the war, in fact, did end, Lincoln was assassinated and he was killed in part because of outrage over that 10% plan, but also kind of this unrepentant nature of being willing to compromise. So Lincoln, for it could be argued, it could be interpreted that his timing um, for that plan of moderation um, was, was um, holistic, it was long-sighted, but it was bad in that he was attempting to offer a moderate plan of reintegration at a time when the South was not willing, certainly John Wilkes Booth, was not willing to come to terms with that compromise. On the other hand, Andrew Johnson, who succeeds Lincoln and implements his version of presidential reconstruction, is completely at odds with the Congress and most of the country expressed through the sentiments of the radical Republicans that said, after this instance, when Lincoln was assassinated, we cannot pursue this type of half-hearted attempt to reintegrate the South into the Union. It has to be a full throated embrace of democracy and the constitutional rights of those persons who were formerly enslaved. And that tension that emerged between Andrew Johnson and the Congress ultimately is going to lead to his impeachment, as you've read about. So this is another example of two different decisions that were made around the same evidence, but um, it, they had very, very different outcomes. You know, this was a a very important thing to consider in a historical context. Now, when we fast forward to the present, a lot of people don't really have a good foundation about the Reconstruction era, as you know, from many of the readings that you've done and considered, because much of the history of this period is based on myth and popular misconception. So historians have been working for more than 50 years now to correct many of these perceptions about the past that are not even based in evidence. They're based in mythology and based in emotion and resentment um, following the Civil War. So as we're working through this process of historical thinking, it's, it's very important to understand that this is a different type of thinking that perhaps you're accustomed to, where there is one clear answer, but there are clear examples where there are many, many wrong answers. So the, the trick is to develop and to practice that ability to think about those five C's of historical thinking, to engage framing questions, and to engage different perspectives, evidence, accounting for timing, etc., so that you can not only determine when the certain options are outright false, but that you can better define and articulate your perspective in that green zone, so to speak, where multiple perspectives are often in conflict. So practice does not make perfect in this instance, but it is essential because practice does make history.